I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie Robbie weekly. Little reverse pass. Oh, oh, Magic! Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here and I'm joined as always by my esteemed colleague with the 42, Murray Kinsella. Murray, how are you? How's your week been going? Fantastic. Thank you very much for that lovely intro. How are you? I am superb. Thank you very much. Bernard Jackman joins us also. Great to see you, Birch. How are things on your end? Yeah, really good. Thanks. Loving the Perpignan jersey, obviously back in the top 14. Um, yeah, that's a, a Glory nice hunting, I am. <laughs> Waited for them to, to get promoted before breaking it out. How are you keeping, Bertie? All right? Yeah, really good. Thank you. Great. Stacked show coming up. We're going to chat about Lions. Naturally enough, the team was just named uh, for the weekend, moments before we started recording. A little bit about the issues facing a couple of the Pacific Islands at the moment as well. Uh, Irish women's rugby and issues with the AIL schedule. Jerry Flannery and the Northern Hemisphere's great entertainers, Harlequins and their premiership success. Uh, Ireland who face Japan in an eagerly anticipated sequel this weekend, and also the Ireland 20s, who have a pivotal clash of their own, far more important in all reality against England tonight, as we record actually on Thursday. So big one, loads to get through. The only thing is we do have to start with a little bit of housekeeping, and I guess the topic of discussion that's dominated most rugby circles this week, Bernard, and that's the question whether or not you will be taking over the Leinster Academy. <laughs> yeah, big rumour, big rumour, big rumor. Big rumor, which is uh, completely unfounded. At least when I start a rumour, there's some semblance of, of, of truth to it. No, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm very happy in my, in my day job and, and uh, as director of Ruby Invective. And yeah, I think it's a great role for, for, for someone, um, but it certainly won't be including my CV anyway. Jackman kills speculation. Dismisses links. Uh, yeah, no, listen, you never know when you're going to get an exclusive at a Birch in the Pod, so it was worth checking. But <laughs> yeah, he, he did call bullshit on it during the week, all right. Um, yeah, so we will be chatting to members tomorrow and we'll be delighted to still include Birch as part of the squad for uh, that Lions chat. Um, for members, you got an email about it if you want to join us. Video chat, Zoom, uh, we did one similar was it for the Six Nations, Murray, I think. And we'll kind of keep it conversational so everyone's on the screen, everyone gets a chance to ask questions on screen and contribute that way if they prefer, or equally you can ask questions and suggestions, make suggestions in the chat as well. It's all part of our membership Lions offering. And Murray, you can kind of recite this, I think, better than me at this stage. What else have we got coming up over the coming weeks? Remind people. Yeah, well, I can't wait for the members event. The last one was great crack. And obviously, we're all excited to get back in person, do one of those events in Liberty Hall or, or wherever it is. But at the moment, we're still um, online. And it was good fun last time. Good rugby chat. Um, we've loads going on. On Monday, myself and Owen Toolan did a, a video analysis show. Really enjoyable to, to show some clips and do some analysis. Um, on Tuesday, we had a members newsletter about the Lions wings. A bit of analysis there. I have another one coming on Friday. We have post-match podcasts. We have... All sorts of stuff going on with the Lions, including those live events which you've mentioned. So it's a great time if people haven't signed up. Obviously, I'm biased, but there's loads going on and you get plenty of bang for your buck with, with all the rugby that's on. Not just Lions, all the Ireland stuff as well. And there's, there's just brilliant rugby on at the moment. So we have plenty more kind of behind the scenes if people want to join us. Certainly do. Members.the42.e if you want to join us there for all of that extra Lions 
rugby content uh, and to support our independent sports journalism as well it's always appreciated uh let's get stuck into it then the pacific islands and this is kind of a weird one we were going to chat about tonga bernard and the uh reports during the week or at least some of the discussion online that they were having to reach out to amateur players at new zealand clubs in order to fill a squad to face the all backs which would be an indication certainly that at least in some quarters the game is not in great health and then only probably a day later we hear that the samoa sevens men's and women's team are stuck in a hotel in dubai and will remain there it seems until the 27th of july because there's only one repatriation flight per month from dubai back to samoa we'll start with that one because it's a little bit more crazy but by all accounts and this was daniel leo uh, who was confirming this online uh, there were problems with their blood tests or they didn't meet some kind of requirement by the Samoan Ministry of Health and therefore they're stuck there for a month. Is that the reality of the situation to your knowledge? Yeah, at the, at the moment. And again, uh, it's it's typical of, um, I suppose, the uh, how low maintenance the, these Pacific Island teams generally are in that, you know, if this happened to uh, any other team, if they were delayed six hours to be... Uh, you know, it'd be a press release demanding, you know, help and, and get us home and uh, all this stuff. And they've been stuck. Um, they've been stuck there, unknowns to me, to be honest, until I saw Dan Leo uh, tweeting about it um, yesterday. And, um, you know, his latest uh, information is that they, you know, they're, the Samoan government are blocking them because what the blood tests that they did uh, don't meet um, this Minister of Health standards. And now they got to wait till the 27th of July. Um, and, like, uh, in fairness, I see the United Arab Emirates Rugby Federation have reached out to, to Dan Leo and Apollo Perlini, who I played with in Sale, is uh, has an academy down there, so he's been helping them out. I mean, um, realistically, it's 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 horrendous, you know. Um, like these guys, um, you know, they, they wouldn't have a huge amount of financial um, uh, strength. I mean, uh, their families are probably relying on them back home to get home and get back to work. I mean, that, that's the that was the nature of, of that competition is that some teams, particularly Pacific Island and Hong Kong, couldn't send their, their strongest teams because of quarantine and, and fears around, you know, getting back out. And, uh, yeah, it's it's terrible. Hopefully World Rugby now are, um, are on it and something can be done to get them back or even get them to New Zealand where at least they would have, you know, more family and more support. Um, it must be pretty difficult for them being... Being um being stuck down there, so yeah, look, it's not ideal at all. But it's just some of the trials and and tribulations that you know. Dan Leo did a a documentary that probably opened up um our eyes to how difficult it is and and how how they need our support. Um, and I know that some people don't in World Rugby don't uh, agree with him, but um certainly for me, from my experience of of dealing with Pacific Island coaches and players, um, a lot of what he says is 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 true and. He's, you know, he's looking for, 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 for more fairness and, and more support for them. And the fact that Tonga are, you know, reaching out to club players in in New Zealand to play the All Blacks. I mean, um, it's great for the players who get the opportunity, but um, you know, it's uh, it's going to be an incredibly difficult occasion for them. And you could argue, you know, from a safety point of view, is it even is it even safe to go from you know um, that level? You know, of amateur rugby 
to to test match against the All Blacks uh, so quickly, you know. Um, so yeah, it's look. We only really usually hear about this World Cup year because um, there's more focus on it. But uh, look, I think it's horrendous what's happened. But again, if it if it leads to better support for them, well then it'll be a good thing. But unfortunately, history would tell you that um, there isn't a huge amount done to look after these guys uh, outside of of World Cup year where. They want him to be competitive at the World Cup. Um, and, yeah, I, I think more can be done. Can I bring you in on the Tonga situation, Murray? Because I have to plead ignorance here. I wouldn't have had any idea that it would have... Um, I, I suppose that it would have been this bad for them uh, or this stark for them that they would have to do this. And, and how has that come about, do you know? So the issue basically is they only have one test. They're playing the All Blacks and that's it. There's no other games after that. So getting guys in from Europe with all the COVID restrictions and all that kind of stuff was basically not feasible. So there is that issue. Like it's obviously unlucky and unfortunate timing in that sense that they get a chance to play against the All Blacks, but they're not able to have their, their best players over. So essentially, yeah, they've they've gone out and, and they've been recruiting and trying to find guys who are eligible basically across New Zealand. And they're playing an All Blacks team, which is a little bit experimental, but it's still world-class. Richie Monga, Will Jordan, Ioane, Papa Lee, like the, the list of names is, is really stellar. So it's going to be a hugely difficult task for them with a, with a 23, match day 23, including 13 guys making their test debuts. Like it could it could be a cricket score. It could just get out of hand. Fingers crossed they can produce something and, and backs against the wall and really rally. But you're looking through the team, even for nerds like myself and Birch, like you're looking through the team going, I don't know these players. I haven't seen them play. There's a couple of super rugby guys are guys with experience at that level, but not standouts either. Um, so it's going to be a really difficult task. And you're kind of questioning the value of it. Like, it's such a pity that, as I say, they get a big test, but it's not going to be a good experience for most of these guys. And some of them probably will never play again for Tonga, and it'll be a, it'll be a tough memory. So obviously the, the world is a tricky place at the moment, but it's just a pity maybe that they couldn't have had another test or or more meaningful games to, to get those guys over from Europe. It's been a tricky time over the last, what, 16 months, particularly, I think, for women's rugby as well. And Murray, fair to say that the Irish women's rugby community is pretty pissed off with the AOL schedule. Can you fill us in on that? Yeah, so there is there is real frustration out there. Um, so was it last week they announced, here's the, the AOL schedule expanded to 10 teams for the women's league, obviously. And you kind of go, this is great news. We're seeing club fixtures back. And then you get a couple of messages going, hang on, these fixtures are actually going to clash with with um, big, important things. So basically, the Interpros and the the World Cup qualifier comp, which is yet to be officially confirmed, but Ireland obviously have to qualify the World Cup. World Cup the Interpros are going to clash with that. And then next year, you're going to have a clash between the Six Nations and the Cup final and potentially some of the league playoffs as well. Obviously, the Six Nations being moved with the women's competition standalone now. So you've got the, the scenario where the best players aren't going to be available for the for the league, which is just really dispiriting and it just doesn't make a huge amount of sense when you're trying to push that league forward. And the RFU have spoken about, I suppose, getting those structures stronger beneath the national team. But if players aren't available, it's it's a really frustrating scenario. And from all accounts, like the English premiership the the premier 15s is obviously taking a step forward there's a lot more professionalism over there there's a lot of interest in irish players and i think a lot of the irish players will have their heads turned now because they look at it and see a more sensible structure to the season a lot more i suppose involvement for players and clubs in having a say in, in how it's run so 
yeah at the moment there's a lot of frustration there and it feels like I suppose a bit of a kind of kick in the face for for people who've been hoping that the improvement of the league will, will help Irish women's rugby step forward it, it's going to clash there's overlaps and it just feels a little bit disjointed again and, and that's what we've been talking about quite a bit recently with with Irish women's rugby Birch it's hard to make sense of it isn't it or sorry not make sense of it but it's hard to see sense in it yeah look at it's not too late to change it to fix it to be honest I mean you know there's a fixture list being being published but um given the fact that it's it, I don't think it makes sense uh to have so many of your top players away for for someone for so many games I, I just think look at sit down together and, and with the RFU and the clubs and actually reorganize it now you know it's obviously Look, it must have been done without much communication or um, or understanding of, of what they want. Or they want those players not playing club rugby. And if that's the case, come out and say it. Um, but, uh, for, you know, all the things we're hearing is that they do want it. So, you know, look, it's coming out of COVID. There's, there's a chance to, to restructure things. We're all pretty flexible in, in, in our approach. So if it wasn't the best possible fixture list, and it can be done better. Well, then just sit down with the people involved and, and and make it better, you know. And if there has to be the odd clash, okay, I'm sure that you know people will accept that. But uh, I just don't think there's any point in ramming this through when it's creating discontent at a time when we're trying to uh, create unity. They should it's, strike. It's, it's baffling that there. Sorry, Gav. It's baffling that there is overlap. Like women's rugby is not professional. There's not a huge amount of fixtures. There's no Champions Cup. There's no other competition. Like, how can they not get it to the point where an Ireland international can play all the club's uh, fixtures and important ones? Like, a cup final is massive in your development as a player. It should be a key part of your build-up to hopefully a World Cup in New Zealand. I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, it's not this massive overlap of loads of fixtures. There's a clear uh, international calendar there, and then you would imagine the clubs can, can work around that. But it sounds like they're not even at the table, really, to be honest, that... They're not part of the process of actually putting the, the calendar down. They should strike. Uh, I'm not even messing. Like they, they I mean, the Camogie, the Camogie players, uh, what, two months ago, a month ago, when they had an issue with the championship structure and, and how their season was going to play out, they, they went on strike and, funnily enough, it got fixed. Like, the players are the most important commodity. Can't do much without them. Yeah, the revolution starts here, Gav. You can lead it. I will. Uh, no, I think we can leave it. We can leave it to a few of the women. I'm pretty sure. But uh, in happier news, we saw Harlequins win the Premiership last week, as you predicted, Birch. And great shout! It really was a great shout, and it really was also an unbelievable game of ball. Uh, it's a happy ending to Jerry Flannery's season as well. I think part of us, part of all of us, was probably. Um, uh, well, I don't know. Is it fair to say we were kind of half up for Harlequins? But like Exeter have had like an unbelievable couple of years. It's nice to see a new team win, and particularly when you have that little uh, Irish connection there as well. So, um, what did you make of it? Yeah, it was a phenomenal game. I think Marcus Smith is is at the peak of his powers at the moment. Um, he is just loving his rugby, and he's having a huge impact on on games. And I think the team has been set up to play to his strength. And uh, you know, it's brilliant to see a young ten. Um, you know, we often speak about Johnny Sexton's, you know, ability to influence games, uh, uh, but I think Smith is, is is at a level, you know, beyond his years at the moment. Um, it's it's fascinating the way attack has 
like Harlequins conceded the most points. I actually bumped into Les Kiss this morning just randomly for uh, at a coffee shop, and we were chatting about it. And he said, like, it goes kind of against you know the whole uh, belief that defense wins championships because they actually conceded, I think, the most points uh, this year. But you know, in the two semi finals, their their philosophy around all out attack, um, you know, against Bristol got them back from whatever 20. 25 or 6 nil down or maybe 28 nil down and then obviously against Exeter they looked beaten you know uh, 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 at one stage um, Rob Baxter was interviewed and it looked like Exeter were in control and in fairness to him he said I'd just like to see us have 10 minutes where we control the game and uh, then he gave away a penalty and next thing Quinns are, are down the other end uh, scoring so uh, it's phenomenal I mean trying to read as much and listen to as much as I can about it because it's a really good case study in terms of you know, obviously that trauma of, of Gustard leaving, um, how the coaches reacted to that. It's pretty obvious the coaches were were with um were with Gustard. They you know, they believed in him and, and were friendly with him. And, you know, I, I read Adam Jones, the former Welsh prop, saying, you know, and I know this because I've been in that environment where, you know, when the head coach gets sacked, um, you automatically think, Am I next? And it, it kind of destabilizes the the whole project. And and Quinns were at a, a, a tricky stage where they'd already decided you know Mike Brown was going to move on and and they were starting to to kind of rebuild uh in a team in the kind of gustard fashion and and obviously you know um it didn't it didn't work out he moved on and suddenly they didn't have a head coach and Billy Millard who actually used to coach in Connacht um and was a kind of a head of recruitment for Cardiff and was doing that role as a, a kind of the guy used to be role in Quinns he took he stepped back down onto the into the kind of coaching box and, and facilitated the the coaches and Nick Evans apparently you know really stood up to be counted and um, he was the only one of the coaches well particularly well uh, from what I gather because Billy wasn't a, a, a kind of a long-standing Harlequin Jerry wasn't Adam Jones wasn't there might be someone else there who was but apparently Nick Evans really kind of led the way in terms of what Quins are about and uh, obviously then with. Uh, Danny Kerr and, and, and Mike Brown and Joe Marler, players who were involved in, in Conor O'Shea's uh, era and win, uh, drove that. And yeah, they they rebounded. And uh, it's been a phenomenal... Like the, I watched them the first day they played Was the first week match after uh, Gustard left. And it was a brilliant performance. They smashed Wasps in Wasps. and uh, But you're always worried, oh, is that just an emotional backlash? You know, is that just a reaction? Um, and can they carry that on? And they did. And... and you know, it wasn't picture perfect. They had little blips, you know, since then and over the last five months. But um, their mental strength, their belief, uh, it's phenomenal, you know. And and uh, look at Exeter. Exeter looked tired. I thought Exeter, you know, they're not as, they're not as dominant as they were, and it's hard to come back every year. But uh, Quinns Quinns deserve massive credit. But what I'm interested in is, I mean, you know, Bristol obviously have a very attacking mindset. Exeter have a very attacking mindset. Quinns have a very attacking mindset. Saracens are coming back up. We know their mindset is is a little bit different, but just in terms of is this the way the game is going? And um, you know, are attacks now going to be uh, teams with the best attack are, are going to be the most dominant, or was just an outlier? And, and next year, you know, teams who defend, kick very well, uh, scrum very well, are, are going to be back um, back dominant. But I think that's all coaches. Over the course of the next month, before they get their teams back in preseason, they're going to be trying to to work out, you know, where the game is going and uh, is 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 the Quinn's way or the Bristol way the way forward. That's what I love about this, Murray, as well. Though 
in all sports, when you get to the games upon which a team season hinges or will be defined, right? There is an element usually of conservatism that, <clears throat> excuse me, kind of seeps into a team's mindset because it's like, this is it. Like, it's only, it's human nature that you would kind of like maybe take fewer chances or you, you don't want to be the player to make a mistake. Um, you don't want to invite the other, the opposition into the game and so on. And Queens seem to just have the courage to like relish it, enjoy it. Even in those moments to which Bernard alludes where they were down both in the semi-final and the final, it's like their belief doesn't waver and they play their way back into it by playing, you know, uh, I, I find that phen- phenomenal. And it must be the sign of like just an unbelievable environment as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and Nick Evans has spoken a lot about players taking ownership for it. It's something we speak about with, with most of the good teams. Like, what suits Quinns? Marcus Smith is just a an attacking player with f- loads of flair, loads of creativity, vision. Don Brandt, at number eight, obviously he can be powerful and, and good in close quarters, but he loves to play offload, make line breaks, be in wider channels. It, it just suits the profile of that team. And there was always a sense of like nothing to lose, really. Obviously, the season as Bernard's like encapsulated there wasn't going well, and they they managed to turn around. And then you've got that kind of freewheeling sense of let's just keep this let's keep this flowing. We've nothing to lose here. Um, and in fairness, the Premiership, which in the past I haven't watched a huge amount of, if I'm being honest, I've watched a lot more this season, and it is thrilling rugby regularly, like high scores, loads of attacking intent. Birch has mentioned the, di- the different teams there and it's wonderful rugby to watch. So fingers crossed this is a this is a trend. Quinns as well, they had loads of like gritty stuff as well that like lays the foundation, doesn't it? Joe Marler in ridiculously good form. What a defender he is. Tough as nails. Such a good work rate. The likes of Esther Hazen was really important in midfield, really powerful, a bit of a focal point, defensive work rate off the charts. And that's a funny thing. They conceded load of, loads of points, but you could pick out some brilliant defensive clips from that game from, from Quinns as well. Um, so yeah, the, the style of Roby in the Premiership for me is really exciting because I'm also hopeful like Birch is that this is the way the game is going and we're going to see a lot more Roby like this. Let's chat Lions then. And it's going to be pretty exciting as well. You'd imagine. What do you make of that team, Bernard, firstly, that was named this morning by Warren Gatlin. We didn't expect to see uh, any of the seven Irish guys involved last weekend involved this time around, only two on the bench, but some interesting combinations. And I guess it's a time for excitement until a ball is kicked because we're just sort of trying to create in our minds an image of what it might look like. Yeah, I think um, obviously Bundy and Robbie were were excellent last week and, and, you know, Farrell and and Chris Harris are going to be very much um, aware that they need to, to lay down a marker um, you know, I, I I wonder is the is the Conor Murray captaincy a sign that Gats isn't sure Owen Farrell's going to be a starter um, in, in the team? You know, uh, and is he going to be someone who can come on the bench as a as a second playmaker or as a, as a ten? Come off the bench as a second maker or a ten with bigger being first choice um, and going for those more powerful options, which is obviously Harris, Henshaw, or or Aki. Um, Ali Price and Finn Russell, you know, obviously used to playing together for Scotland. I think it's a good team. I mean, uh, it's a very aggressive mobile. It's a, you know, basically a, a big English influence on the pack. Courtney Laws at six, uh, Johnny Hill, Atoje, um, you know, uh, Jamie George, Falatau. Like it's, it's a very very strong pack, and uh, I think they'll they'll be ready to do a a job on on the lines on, on, on Saturday and um, yeah just get this tour you know last week we were worried about the 
the the fact that we'll go ahead you know it'll just be great to see them see them play and get up and running but it's uh the Irish lads Bundy's obviously the only Irish player involved he's on the bench uh, sorry Henderson as well but it's a it's a very strong team I mean when you see the quality of the team he could put out last week and then you know so many changes this week uh it's going to be a a real hot uh debate around the test team what excites you most about the team Murray I'm really excited to see Owen Farrell play at 12. This is something we probably anticipated and spoke about him being a good option there. Obviously, that's where he plays for England. That's where he played the last two Lions tests as well. He came on there last weekend. And we, I mean, the Lions spent the majority of his time on the pitch defending, but there was one little glimpse where back-to-back phases, bigger plays first receiver, then Farrell plays first receiver. They come back, swing to the left, and, and they're kind of late into shape where Farrell's first receiver and bigger's at the back of that kind of forward pod. So it gives you an idea of the model that they're looking at again and it did work really well in 2017 with Sexton and Farrell I thought it was really influential in probably turning the series around they didn't go there for the first test I think they should have it was, it was a mistake in in my eyes um, and they I think are looking at that model again obviously the power of Aki and Harris and Henshaw is really attractive as well but you have to have players to kind of unlock the door don't you especially that Springbox door which is reinforced and steel plated it's such a strong defense so it is going to be key to have guys who have that little bit of creativity the kicking skill as well is, is something else so excited to see him play and it is a it, like it's a it's a really strong team the Lions could have the golden Lions, the local south african team will have a, a tough day i think their squad is not particularly strong also excited to see louis louis reese samet play because i mean this kid is 20 years old he's been a sensation for wales and you just sense that if he gets a continues rather his momentum could carry him all the way to the to the test team it would be thrilling to see a guy like that go and do a bit of a brian o'driscoll in 2001 become a bit of a, a lions legend at an early stage um, and he's got all the ability to to go and do that he certainly does he could do a georgie north in 2013 as well birch like yeah. it was north around that age or yeah he was um yeah he, he he's got very different than north north was kind of uh a power athlete when you know rugby players weren't uh, as big and strong across the board um but what Reece Samet has is just ridiculous pace and um i mean you know that's going to be that's going to be absolute key because I, I think you know looking at the box and how they defend um under Nino Bar it's a very very aggressive you know rush from out to in but sometimes that last defender can be you know nearly is nearly second post so um you have to go very deep to go over or, or to get around it or go over the top of it and then obviously you need someone with real wheels to to beat the scramble and uh you know that's more important than than power um uh, against this type of opposition so i uh, i would say gatland um is you know has been obviously watching with Gloucester and wales but um i think he yeah, I, w- I would have him in the test team, to be honest, at the moment. Obviously, he's got to go and, and, and step up to this level. But um, I think his his unique super strength could be could be key to unlocking that Springbok defence. The other little interesting thing is his second row now, obviously, with Alan Wynne-Jones gone. Like, he's your tight head lock out of the team. So, Johnny Hill, obviously, his chances greatly increase. A guy that probably wouldn't have been seen as a test line by, by many people. But there's a slot there, obviously. Maratoje is going to be favourite to start probably call the line out um, but I think Ian Henderson also has a really good chance he often plays loose headlock and, and scrummages on that side but you saw him last weekend he switched over 
he called the line out really well Bert you'd obviously be able to give a bit more insight than that but it, it seemed to run really smoothly and he's a guy with momentum as well yeah, absolutely I, I think he's someone he wasn't a natural liner caller um, but he's someone that's uh, and that he's probably um, been held back a little bit by the type of of lock that Ulster have signed over the last um, you know Jesus, 10 years really where they've always gone for um, a line out marshal as their as their foreign player and allowed Ian you know do the other stuff but I, I think Paul has identified um, pretty quickly that he's he needs to upskill in that area and I think he's been working really hard and I think he's now a uh, a very competent line of caller which is going to be key and in fairness that was probably something that Beard um, you know Alan Wynne Jones is not a line of caller so um, they didn't have you know but he, he he was worth so much in other areas that you know he he's well worth his place uh, on, the, on the team but I think Beard coming in um, has a different skill set than Alan Wynne Jones and uh, yeah Henderson now has to compete with with obviously um, the Johnny Hills and the um, but Alan Beard's particularly in that you know he's calling lineups for Gatland um, has done a massive job on the on the Welsh lineup over the last year and that could be something that is a bit of a bolter so not you know originally on the squad but could quickly become a test a test player can we chat about captaincy for a while, lads? I know, Murray, you were caught by surprise by Murray's or by Connor Murray's announcement as Skips, as he's become known uh, during the week. <laughs> um, but Birch, your immediate reaction at the time, if you could give me, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, how shocked were you or would you have had a suspicion that Murray might have been in the frame? Uh, zero clue. To be honest, I didn't, uh, I didn't see it coming um, at all. And... Um, but it's very it's very typical Warren, and um, you know he doesn't generally go with the with the flow. He'll make his own decision. And look, at it, I'm sure as a as a coaching group, um, they've gone through this, you know, uh, you know, with a fine a fine two comb and and uh, a fine comb and, and um, have looked at it. And I think it's obviously because they were sure he was going to be first choice. And I think. They obviously see a huge amount of calmness in, in him, and that's uh, maybe the you know with the overall mix of the other players and the you know the the Toje being so vocal and 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 um, what other ever combinations they have, they probably feel having a, a really calm, experienced uh, line um, who who can obviously you know captain this this squad because that's the key that you know it's not just being able to captain the 23 who play against the box and the three tests it's about having universal likability um uh the credibility to go to the management and say look at the feedback from the players is you know we're not training enough we're training too hard um you know uh selection isn't clear or whatever or the feedback isn't good enough and have that credibility i think connor has that i think connor is unbelievably comfortable in his own his own skin uh, believes in his in his ability without being uh, arrogant or anything like that. But the fact that he's been on, you know, he's so experienced as a line. He's worked under some unbelievable captains, and maybe this is opportunity to go from from zero to hero in, in captaincy stakes, and and with very little experience captaining a winning Test series, which is uh, you know pretty incredible. But I didn't see it at coming, but when I look at it, it kind of makes. It makes sense, um, and as I said, I, I think they obviously wanted probably a Kelty captain um, and uh, someone who's respected and liked. And, and Connor definitely is. Why a Kelty captain, Bert? I just think um, uh, I don't know. It's just tends to, it's tended to happen over um, the last few tours. Uh, England 
normally, well, I don't know, I haven't looked at exact stats, but my good feeling is that they generally provide most of the of the players and it's good, it's good to have that that balance you know um in in your team so you know there's no there's no science or i haven't done that on this but that's just my good feeling it's like the way scottish people just make better commentators for some reason <laughs> it's something in the voice isn't it something guttural but but murray seriously uh in relation to conor murray like this is the culmination of what's been i wouldn't go as far as to say a turbulent uh period of his career because I think he's like very much steadied the ship but for that reason he deserves enormous credit it's almost time to pay him his dues again the way we used to in a way like he did go through a time when certainly a lot of people around the country rugby fans I mean were either writing him off or deeming him uh, unworthy of a starting berth in Andy Farrell's team at times you could argue even justifiably but like long story short he has come back roaring like and is in really good form and to be rewarded with this is it's a, I mean it's a career highlight at a time when we actually suspected he might have none left at one point yeah well he was honest and candid in saying that when the squad was named this time around like he wasn't sure he was in at all the previous times he, he was probably confident enough that he was going to get in obviously in 2017 he was he was nailed on really as a starter in 2013 he was the young player who had loads of momentum but he'd tell you this time he wasn't sure if he was going to be in the squad and now he's the captain. Um, I think you slagged me in written form during the week for picking Thomas Williams as my starting lines uh, scrum half a year ago. And and honestly, like it sounds silly now, but at the time, Conor Murray wasn't playing his best rugby and, and it was, I suppose some of the criticism was fair, but he has rebounded and his, his rugby over the last season has been really outstanding. He's, he's been back to his best, but it's a massive, massive ask and job. Like, I still find it crazy to be saying Lions captain Conor Murray. It just sounds so strange, even after several days of digesting it. And I'm sure he's getting his head around it. It's been great that he's repeatedly said, I'm just going to try and be myself, because that is exactly what you want. You don't want him trying to come up with deadly speeches that are going to be on the next Lions documentary. Just be yourself. Like Bundyaki, Farrell, they're going to be roaring and screaming at everyone. Let them do that and be yourself but like it is it's he's going to be in strange positions that he's not been in before imagine those test games when the box are absolutely piling on the pressure things maybe go against the lines he is a very composed character but he's going to be exposed to different stresses that he never has been exposed to before and you'd imagine the box are going to be saying let's pile it on him let's absolutely pile it on him so it's going to be it's going to be a huge challenge i'm still getting my head around it i think the thing birch mentioned about farrell not being a definite test starter is is key here i i thought he'd be the next in line for captaincy to be honest but it's obviously in gallon's head that he could go a different way in midfield and so yeah murray steps up having not done the job he did it for munster once never an underage captain always a a kind of quieter figure although obviously confident and and has loads of self-belief a quieter figure around squad so it is a massive leap but it's another as you say string to his bow and another thing on a cv that is incredible really his career has been remarkable came back from that neck injury took him a while to get going again but he's playing brilliant rugby it was interesting during the week Burke hearing Jamie George while he was absolutely waxing lyrical about Murray the guy and he said they became very close for example on the 2017 tour he stressed he thinks Murray would do a great job but that he would probably be less vocal than most of the captains that George has played with and I wonder how much does that change the dynamic does it mean that other players need to step up even more the likes of Farrell and Aki as Murray mentions there or 
there's a guy with Murray who kind of brings that level of gravitas. And to be fair, is not averse to communicating with referees at the best of times. Like, is his kind of usual personality enough to do the role, as he says, and just being himself and not really trying to do more than that? No, look, at I don't think he'll change. I, I, I think he will uh, appreciate that he's been given, he's intelligent enough to know he's been given captain for the type of character he is and you know Gatland and, and co won't want him to become a you know a tyrant uh, roaring and screaming as Murray said there's enough guys in that everyone's just going to be true to themselves the reason they're they're top end players is because you know they they bring consistency in terms of their um their personality type in terms of behavior so I I, I just think that they'll all uh, stick to what they are like Ian Henderson isn't a guy who's you know um very very vocal but he's a hell of a good captain for for ulster so uh connor you know he he's seen captains who've tried to um maybe change or adapt uh, and generally doesn't work out so um i just think he'll be that calming influence and that can maybe give people reassurance as well when the when the captain is 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 so relaxed about about what to do next um and what the strategy is and and, and where they're going so yeah it's a, it's going to be fascinating it's just another layer of um of interest in the, in this tour for for all of us to see how how Connor you know adapts as, as captain and can that can that bring his own game to another level? The challenge will be obviously, I think he'll do a great job as a captain. Um, the challenge will be to be a dominant nine, you know, against against these box and uh, you know part of the you know I spoke about why Lewis Reesamet could be you know uh, important to the team having a nine that can run. Um, and probe um, is particularly important against this this rush as well because you know the line speed comes from the third defender out um, and you know one and two either side of the rook need to, to hold back a little bit to protect around there so Connor's ability to to find little holes there um, and get his nose through contact and uh, maybe make the odd line break uh, will be will be key in itself plus obviously you know the aerial game and being able to kick accurately and 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 you know get some of those contestables back so um yeah i'd love to see, love to see if it can bring his game to another level again um because obviously at his best he's he's top end mm. it was good to see him make a couple of those little scooting runs and an inside ball to duan van der merve at one stage last weekend birch in your experience you've obviously played with captains you've appointed captains like is there something that they all share or is, is there different forms of being a good captain? Yeah, there's massively different forms and um, like I think sometimes it's, so Leo Cullen was, an um, was Leo Cullen's very similar to Connor in terms of like never stressed, um, always calm, uh, but in the dressing room before a game it was someone like Shane Jennings or, or Sean O'Brien who were, you know, leading the riot act or making sure everyone was, was up for it but Leo was just this real calm head um, and I think that'll be kind of how Connor does it and then Brian Brian was at Rodriscoll you know he could vary you know um, he, he really read the room and, and sometimes he'd be nice and calm relaxed and if he felt you know we had a poor warm up or we had a poor prep or whatever he'd he'd let the team have it um, Paul was pretty consistent he was always kind of driving things uh, Raj was Raj was different he'd you know He'd reach people kind of uh, very emo- emotional intelligence and would just hit the hit the right note to kind of dial in with you. Um, 
and you know in terms of appointing captains in France you need to find you know Andrew Farley was was our captain he bilingual well respected by by all the French players um in Wales Corey Hill um with the Dragons again was 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 really respected you know by numbers 30 to 40 and um and that's you know it it, it varies in terms of um what you go for but it depends on your on your squad as well and do you have other people who can can pick up the charge and really drive things Monday to Friday. Um, and if you do, well, then you can have a captain who's probably a little bit quieter um, uh, and calmer. But uh, it, it does depend on the overall mix you have. And I'm sure, like, I'm sure that was part of the reason they went for Connor is obviously they felt, um, you know, that Owen Farrell's going to drive things anyway, you know. Um, and uh, you can probably afford to have a quieter captain if you have those those kind of guys who are given a fuel during, during the week and pre-match. Yeah, like the sh- shared leadership is a common theme, not just sports, like it's it's in every organization now, even our WhatsApp group. Some weeks it's Gav driving things on, some weeks I step up, you Birch are, are very good for, for leading the way, but, but seriously in rugby teams, and we always do it after the fact, we go, oh, he was an amazing captain. And obviously there's guys who are just leaders of people and they can get a group going, but even if you look at, say, Martin Johnson, that England team was ridiculously laden with leaders all around and providing their own thing. Like it is... My sense, Birch, is that in every squad now, it is a shared model. Like, it's not just one guy driving it. Yeah, and like as coaches, you know, we spend a lot of time trying to develop better leaders. And, and, you know, I don't use a team anywhere. I wouldn't have a a leadership group, a a game management group. You know, part of the work you do with your academy players is to, to try and help them understand what good leadership looks like, help them understand their own personality and, and how they can lead and uh, but it has to be authentic it has to be something that's naturally uh, part of you um, and I think players and, and coaches are very quick to spot an imposter or someone who's putting things on um, so it has to be it has to be really true to you and, and that's why someone like Alan Wynne Jones I mean he actually doesn't speak a huge amount uh, but he's just the most natural competitor that anyone is trained played with him played against him for the last 15 years has come up against uh so you know when he says something you know it's around being competitive and and being consistent uh, and being hard to beat you know it's part of of his dna and he's lived that so um yeah it's and look i've been in dress rooms where people speak up and you know they're just bluffing um or they don't have the the credibility to do it and it's actually a massive uh negative um but again good teams they nip that in the bud pretty quick or they don't have those type of people just briefly you mentioned Rog there if people haven't seen on his Twitter go have a look at the card that Darren Sweetenham sent to him and his family it's just lovely and it probably points to that emotional intelligence form of leadership like he's good at connecting with people and it's a lovely little note to, to the yeah I actually felt really bad because the guys the guys were unbelievably good to me uh, in Paris and I was like oh Jesus I, I, I never I, I never I never sent <laughs> I never sent him anything um, but yeah no in fairness it, it's such a nice touch and um, it's it, like writing letters and I'm not sound old school here but uh, writing letters or sending cards uh, it's so rare now that when you do get one uh, it actually means way more than it would have 10 years ago but yeah the Garas are like they're unbelievably hospitable and uh, uh, yeah well deserved I'm sure they looked after Darren incredibly well and he's you know he's shown the type of person he is to, to recognise that 
Yeah, we'll chat about Ireland briefly, guys, uh, before we get into a kind of a meteor chat about the Ireland 20s, because at least we know what their team is, and that game is uh, in the more immediate future. As we record at the moment, Ireland's senior team hasn't quite been named. I think it'll be about an hour or two after we record, unfortunately. But, Murray, you expect them to field a strong team. So what are you looking for this weekend, and what kind of a team, actually, would you want to see play? Is it just a kind of a blend of experience and youth or do you want to see like fully experimental at this point i mean i'd love to see fully experimental because it'd be it'd be great cracking you'd learn so much the the sounds coming out of camp are that it is basically the strongest most experienced team he has available to him obviously there's guys away with the lines and some of the senior guys are arrested this summer but you saw last weekend when japan came back in the second half i thought the line should have had a yellow card the the, the scoreline definitely would have been closer with that they're a quality team they haven't played for a long time and honestly i think Andy Farrell will look at it and go, this is a obviously a, a tricky fixture. Like last time they played Japan, it was a horror show. It didn't go well. And and how damaging would it be for a lot of guys to lose at home to Japan and um experience that with your first test of t- of t- uh, of test taste rather of test rugby. So I, I am expecting a strong team. Um and it is a it's a really big challenge for Ireland. Japan way with so much tempo, so much ingenuity and creativity. You saw some of their plays from line out. Last weekend were so smart. They've got power in the likes of Jimeno and, and Tatafu, who you'd expect to come into the starting team. Um, and it's going to be a, a tricky one for Ireland. There'll probably be a couple of debuts off the bench, you would hope, at the very least. The likes of Gavin Coombs, who, who's completely earned his shot. But um, it's, a, it's a big ask for Ireland. And the last most recent outing we've had from Ireland was really impressive, in fairness, against England. Like, that's the, that's the standard they set for themselves. Um, and you'd love to see them get back there with some of their attacking play. Obviously, the the build up to the Jack Conan try in particular that day was outstanding and showed a kind of variety and and multi skill set to to Ireland's attacking play. So, obviously, the set piece one went well. The Keith Earls try, even though that wasn't actually the intention, so we probably overcredited them at the time. It was just Jack Conan coming up with a, a brilliant play and Earls an outstanding finish. So. You'd love to see more of that from them. It could be a really entertaining, exciting game. Like, that's the hope. When Japan are involved, it generally is. Um, but I think a really tough ask for Ireland. Hang on, I actually completely missed that at the time. Are you saying that was not a pre-planned move, but a little bit of improv but from Conan? It wasn't supposed to go exactly that way. They didn't anticipate that Tom Curry would be where he was. So Jack Conan was supposed to catch, gather and turn and then maybe pass. Um, so there was an element of planning, obviously, but... It wasn't quite what they expected, so fair play Jack Conan. He reacted really well. Magic. Heads up rugby. We were waiting a long time for it. Uh, Birch, I actually, and this is not to disparage uh, Ireland, as Murray says, listen, their last game was a brilliant performance. Hopefully we have turned the corner, but I do think Japan can and might win this game just by dint of the fact that Ireland are missing half of their first choice team and Japan are coming in. Uh not quite hot, maybe, but certainly warmed up from last week. Like, they have a couple of things working in their favour. They're a good team. Uh, so it's not beyond the realms of possibility. If it happened, do you think it would be particularly damaging? No, I don't think it would. I think it could happen. I think Japan are going to be a lot better um, this week than they were last week. Obviously, Ireland, you would expect to be a little bit cold. Some new combinations that haven't played for um, a while. So I think it's a dangerous game. Um, I think Japan were very disappointed with how they they started against the Lions and um but you can see in the second half their their attack is so intricate um it's bound to ask questions of of Ireland's D um and they have they have some power athletes as well who are as good as any in the world um yeah so look I I think it's a very dangerous game I think we probably end up sneaking it but um 
and I don't think if we lost, it would have a massive effect, uh, really, to be honest, given we're without our lines and given that some of our experienced players uh, have, have played. And we'll get back on the horse, to use an Eddie O'Sullivanism, um, next week uh, against America, and it'll all be positive. But there is still question marks. I mean, the the, the England game was, was a game which was... You know, a really strong performance, but on following a, a, an average enough tournament. Uh, so, you know, I think it's important Ireland do develop some some consistency, and I think for that we need to develop more depth. So, yeah, I would like to see a couple of new faces come through, particularly Coombs, um, who I think could go from Munster to being a, a, a and a first capper to being a, a test player, a test starter for Ireland, uh, pretty quickly. And you know, if we can find a little bit more depth, Harry Byrne. You know his development's going to be uh, fascinating as well. Obviously, Joey's Joey's the main man now. So look, at, there's um, the most important thing for us will be to develop two or three players really in in this period and have them come in in, in November as as genuine starters first. I think that would be more important than beating Japan um, this weekend. That leads us on nicely to the twenties, and we didn't really get a chance to get stuck into that last week. It's an insanely busy couple of weeks. I saw one or two people tweeting you, Bernard, going, thank God you brought it up towards the end. I thought I wasn't going to get a mention at all. <laughs> there is always scope in the members' pods as well uh, on Mondays. But listen, this is the well, this is potentially the definitive game of this championship. It's Ireland and England. They're both coming in uh, in really good form. Uh, they what, England have four changes from the team that beat Scotland last week. Ireland look like then you look at the Ireland team who beat England last year and it's almost a completely different team uh, I don't know what's your reading of this to begin with Birch like are you kind of are you confident that Ireland can get the job done first and foremost before we discuss individual players listen going into this competition I think the team the expectation around the team was that they would beat Wales Scotland and Italy and that would be um, that would be a kind of uh, job done and anything above that would be a bonus um, just because of England England normally target the, the Junior World Cup which happens in June so when we play them in the Six Nations sometimes they're in a little bit of experimental mode and obviously France have been really strong at this level for the last uh, last couple of years particularly some of the individuals they brought through and we didn't know a lot about these guys they haven't played for a long time and so few of them were involved last year but over the last two games I think they've caught the eye and they've they've shown that there's some serious uh, potential here. Uh, I, I don't think they've hit their, their straps yet in terms of that cohesion and, and unity, which is um, which is to be expected. But I think third game up, you'll start to see more of that. And um, I think the most impressive thing about them has been, you know, how some of the in individuals. So Alex Soraka has been, you know, phenomenal uh, for me. Obviously, played the first game at six, second game, second game, and plays tonight at. At lock, uh, Alex Kendellan has looked, you know, really impressive. The captain, um, and you know, we knew about Jamie Osborne. Um, I knew about Chris Cosgrave from from schools rugby, um, and you know, he, he he looks really exciting. But this guy's like, well, Moxham I knew about from Ulster, but who looks the real deal? Shane Jennings um, has has caught the eye. To be honest, Carl Ford was a 10 who's now playing 12, looks really athletic, really powerful. And then Nathan Doak um, last weekend looked like Conor Murray, you know, just uh, taking all in his stride um, and very, very comfortable. So, yeah, it's it's going to be fascinating tonight. It's a good English team. I mean, they went way down against France um, and battled back uh, full of some really good players. I spoke to... Um, I spoke to Conor McPhillips last night uh, who coaches Bristol and he said this 13 Jack Bates is... 
is outstanding um you know really really quick really powerful and they expect him to become a starter for for bristol so um yeah it's uh, tonight will tell a lot to be honest but so far so good i mean um yeah it's just really nice to see some guys and lots of youth players Lots of guys from non-traditional pathways. The, you know, um, you know, Shane Jennings was the was a, hur- a full fullback on the on a Galway minor hurling team, um, and you know, uh, Temi Lassisi wasn't in the original squad. Was let go by the Leinster Sub Academy. Gets called in to do a scrum a scrummaging session because they're down numbers, and now he's he started two to three games ahead of a guy called Jack Boyle who. Who I think will play for Leinster and maybe Ireland. So um, came through Enniscorthy and the Leinster youth. So there's, uh, yeah, there's there's lots of nice stories about the under twenties. And uh, yeah, if five or six of them can come from here into being regulars for Munster and some of them play for Ireland, it'd be um, it'd be brilliant. Have you had a chance to see much of England, Murray? Yeah, I watched them the last day. Uh, very impressive. Obviously, they've got a whole lot of potential in their squad. Birch has mentioned a couple of guys. One to watch out for is Dan Lancaster, Stewart's son. He, he plays at 12. Very classy. Obviously, he's very classy. Isn't he? He's skillful. Got a good Roby IQ on him, you can see. And the scrum half, Jack Van Portfleet, is an outstanding prospect. He's played a lot of Roby for Leicester in the Premiership already. So we knew that he was going to be good, but... They've got they've got quality across the board, and that's the fascinating thing now. Ireland have impressed us so far, but this is certainly a step up. England are two bonus point wins from two games so far as well, and they look muscular and powerful. And that's the bit that I'm really fascinated by is how those tight forwards for Ireland go because they've been really impressive so far. Temi Lasisi really impressive. Sam Illo, Harry Sheridan, a guy from Ulster, like a bit of bit of a lump of a lock, and and really good to see that kind of player coming through um especially in Ulster where they've not had a huge amount of forwards come from the academy into playing senior rugby uh, he looks like a real prospect so how they cope with that step up in physicality and sustained pressure for 80 minutes is going to be really important it's a massive development step for all of them and, and I'm fascinated to see how they handle it Nathan Doak looked unbelievably composed last weekend bit extra pressure on him now how does he go this weekend Based on, on what we've seen so far, you would back him to, to withstand that and indeed even thrive in it. He looks like a, a huge prospect. And that's the exciting thing. There's certainly three or four guys from this team already who you can see are, are going to be good senior players in a very short space of time. So that's what it's all about at the end of the day. Um, but they're in the middle of a tournament now where they're on a roll, they've got momentum, and already this feels like a bit of a final. So it's going to be a, a thrilling game. I know you have to run for a press conference, so call it for us before we wrap, Mark. I'm going Ireland. Um, and Birch, I've been loving the analysis on TV so far. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's on iPlayer I tonight and uh, RT News. So uh, we don't have a panel, but I'm on COCOM. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think, look at it. I love this age group. Um, and uh, yeah, I love trying to spot guys we're going to see a lot more of. And we've been so lucky over the last two years, three years, where um, there's fellas who've caught our eye, you know, playing, playing for Ireland in their 20s. And have have gone on to do well for the provinces, and, and someone like Craig Casey's has stepped up to to get cap for Ireland. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's fascinating. And I, again, I just stressed there's a lot of guys coming here from from who are outside the private school system, which is is good to see. Who does the comms on RT News now, Birch Sharon Jolan? <laughs> I've not watched a match on no, there before. Uh, I have to say. Uh, you have watched I've never Marshall. watched I haven't. Uh, no, I I don't know how we ended up getting uh, getting in there, but glad to. Glad to kick Sharon Yvolan out for an hour and a half or two hours probably or three hours the way rugby games are going and, and, and take over with a bit of sport. What do you reckon Birch, Ireland or England before we go? 
Yeah, look, I think we're under. The, uh, I don't know what the bookies are saying. Uh, uh, I think we'll do it. I think this team is starting to uh, really believe, and there's some strong personalities in it. So I, I, I think we'll get the win. Savage. Looking forward to that one. That is tonight, ter- Thursday night. Uh, so do tune in to Birch and Co on the RT player and on RT News now. Uh, we will be back three of us tomorrow on zoom for all the 42 members members.the42.ie if you want to join us there for a special lions online event really looking forward to catching up with all the members all of the members in the rugby whatsapp group as well and we'll catch it then murray will be back over the weekend monday he's got a busy few days ahead as the lions tour kicks off in earnest we're looking forward to it all until then mind yourselves thanks a mil and take it easy i don't think we've met before but i'm the referee on this field Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It is Tommy Moe! Robbie Robbie Weekly. Little reverse pass, and it's a goal! Magic! You're not alive, boys, so you start kicking when the room is spinning.